eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And just like that, we're back. An ultra-rare Wednesday edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is July 7th, Year of Our Lord, 2021. When we last spoke, I led you to believe I'd be back in Nashville by this time this week. I'm not. And also, that has to do with why we're releasing this on Wednesday and you didn't get a podcast yesterday. And some of you are probably mad. And you should be. But I'll give you a reason that will reduce your anger and increase your understanding in just a second. How does this work? If you're new and judging by our numbers, there are many of you who are new every week. It is all wall-to-wall mailbag college football and a little bit extra. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. You can hit me there. On Twitter, on Instagram, at LateKickJosh. And not only do I want you to follow me there, I leave the DMs open. Really, whether you follow or not, I leave the DMs open. And a lot of you submit questions that way. Or maybe go give us a five-star review and submit a written review in the form of a question. Many different ways to get in touch with the podcast. So what's happening? Why didn't you get a podcast yesterday? A lot of you were on the road coming back from July 4th celebration here in yonder and you wanted something to listen to to kill the time. I get it. Here's what happened. I was supposed to be back in Nashville. Someone very close to us, very close to my family, grew up with him, known him a long time, passed away. Longtime fan of the show too. How about this? Split his time living in Brazil and the U.S. How boss does that sound? So his uh, funeral is today. I'm recording this Wednesday morning. Planning on heading back to Nashville after the funeral tonight. So we should be back on track from a production standpoint tomorrow. The only difference is you'll only get one extra pod instead of two this week. So this is the only extra podcast you'll get. Now the plus side... For those of you who like the longer editions is I have no intent of keeping this thing under 30 minutes because I'm trying to really condense two versions of the show into one. So I'm really stuffing this mailbag full this morning. And for that reason, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to start diving into the mailbag right this second. Jason is kicking us off. Good question here. We'll probably talk about this on Late Kick Live in some shape, form or fashion tomorrow night, Jason. He says, he being Jason, does the rest of the college football world understand and appreciate the run Ohio State is on? I feel like the Buckeyes are really underappreciated. Some of you, let me pause. Pause, Jason. Some of you are already angry at this because you think Ohio State gets love coast to coast 24-7, and they do, but they deserve it. But what Jason's saying, I'm I'm going to explain myself, so just bear with me, I actually agree with. So he continues, are the Buckeyes underappreciated for what they've done because they haven't had national titles like Bama. They've had one in 2014, but they haven't had multiples over this last decade plus. How many programs get to see a run like Ohio State is on right now, Jason asks. Who gets to go from Jim Tressel to Urban Meyer to Ryan Day? That's just unreal. Will this ever happen again? 
This is a really good question. I mean, it's a good set of questions, to be honest with you. So here's how I'm looking at this. I'm looking at it from present in reverse. Yes, you could go with the entire lineage of coaches. And the answer is no. It will, let me say, the answer is it's very hard to pull off a Trestle to Meyer to Ryan Day. It was a Luke Fickle for 15 minutes in there. How about that? The interim, the throwaway era was a guy who is now leading the powerhouse at the G5 level in Cincinnati. So they've struck gold and gold and gold and some platinum mixed in from a coaching standpoint. That's not all luck, by the way. I was talking to someone about this in my DMs last night. And the suggestion was there that, well, yeah, we can talk about Ohio State being really good, but let's be honest, they've been lucky with their head coaches all panning out. To some degree, because of how many variables are in the equation, yes, you do need some good luck. But I'm not going to call it luck when you have organizationally everything in order. And that includes decision-making. And that includes resource allocation from top to bottom, but you have the right minds in the room making the hiring decisions. That's not luck. That's that's kind of like you being a deadbeat, not the person who asked the question. We're going in hypothetical land now. If you're the deadbeat of the family and your brother is a high-caliber lawyer in Manhattan and you look at him and you say, well, he just got all the lucky breaks, I am going to venture out on a limb that's pretty sturdy and guess that there was more to that dynamic than just luck. I'm going to guess, okay? I don't know your family situation, but I'm going to guess there's more to it than just luck. Just like when we look at Ohio State and we look at a program like Tennessee, I choose Tennessee because it's relevant. You guys know I love you, but what I'm about to say is accurate. Tennessee has made poor hiring decisions on top of other poor hiring decisions. It's not just one. Ohio State has made good hiring decisions or promotion decisions on top of hiring and promotion decisions. And it multiplies your return. And the return at Tennessee has been lackluster. And the return at Ohio State has been great. But Jason's asking, not have they been good, have they been underappreciated? And I think they have. Because everybody views you, in this case Ohio State, against the backdrop of Alabama in modern day college football. It's why Gus Malzahn in any other era at Auburn would have not only been smiled at, he would have been celebrated for the run that he just had. Instead, it was good enough to get him fired. Gus Malzahn's numbers, if you were to do a blind resume, compared at times very favorably to that of Pat Dye, who they named the field after at Auburn. But because he is being judged against the backdrop of Nick Saban and Alabama and the most historic run in college football history, wasn't good enough. Kirby Smart, you got some fringe minority folks actually talking hot seat. If Kirby Smart can't do, well, do what? Beat Alabama? That's it? You can't beat Alabama? You talk hot seat? Which is ludicrous, and I've spoken my piece on that. But that would only exist in this world we're in right this second. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with society in general. I think it's just a Nick Saban-Bama thing. And likewise with Ohio State. Ohio State has been on a magnificent run. They've averaged double-digit wins forever now. They've won multiple conference titles. They've been in playoffs. They've won one championship in 2014. I think they've got the second-best coach in America today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that. I'm going to stop saying circle back because some of you don't like it, but I'm going to touch on it and I'm going to explain myself because it makes perfect sense if you think about it the right way. This is not an awards banquet. This is talking about today moving forward. Having said that, let me get back to what Jason was talking about. Yes, it's underappreciated because if I were to remove Alabama from the equation, Ohio State would be next to Clemson. They would be the alpha dog on the block right now. As it is, they're already one of them. But they would be measured against Clemson with two championships, not quite the longevity of success over the past two decades that Ohio State's had. So it would be a neck and neck argument 
explore the 1 and 1A in that equation. If you're going recency bias, it's Clemson because they got more rings. If you're going longevity and sustained excellence over multiple coaching staffs, well, then it would be Ohio State. But then you insert Bama and the volume gets turned down on everyone else, whether that's right or wrong. Now, let me go back to what else is underappreciated. And this is what I think I'm going to talk about a whole lot more on Late Kick Live tomorrow night on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, by the way. And let me just throw this in there. What if I told you that even though we've had success on the YouTube channel, 24-7 Sports, 72% of our viewers on any given video are unsubscribed. So they're swooping in. You guys are watching the videos, and I can tell a lot of you are repeat visitors. For whatever reason, you haven't hit that subscribe button. And I can't in strong enough terms convey to you how important it is that we do that if you want to maintain the free status of all the stuff that we deliver with Late Kick. Podcast is free. YouTube, it's free. Everything we do is free. Well, the way we do that is this this little return every now and then. The five-star reviews, for example. You guys have done that brilliantly. Subscribing to the YouTube channel. You guys have done that brilliantly. I'm not saying our numbers are bad. I'm just saying when I look at 72% unsubscribed, I say, why not hit subscribe? That in and of itself is free. There's no charge. And so I humbly, that may have sounded a little more direct, Okay, I directly but humbly ask that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. So anyway, let me retrace my thoughts there. Okay, here's what I was going to talk about. So on that show that appears on the aforementioned 24-7 Sports YouTube channel tomorrow night, I'm going to talk about this in some shape, form, or fashion. And what I mean is I think Ryan Day himself is underappreciated right now. Now, I'm not saying people have him outside the top 10 or anything, but the other day I said, kind of jokingly, but it turned serious, I said, if I were hiring, if Pate State was hiring a head coach and we could just get anyone we wanted to, which we could, let's be honest, I put a list and it was only two names deep. Number one was Nick Saban. If I could have any coach in America right now, I'd take Nick Saban. He's the best uh, by a wide margin. And then number two would be Ryan Day. And I got pushback on that. And I, I understand the pushback because a lot of people said, what about Dabo Swinney? He's won multiple titles. Ryan Day hasn't won any. That's true. But notice what I said and what I didn't say. I said if I was hiring a coach today, moving forward at Pate State or at my school, fill in the blank, if you're a Florida State fan, if you're a USC fan, just pretend you have an opening and it's plausible that you could get anyone you wanted to in this, again, fantasy hypothetical world. I take Nick Saban, and then I said I take Ryan Day. It's not an awards banquet. If it was an awards banquet, if it was a lifetime achievement ceremony, then I would say, Dabo Swinney, come on up, man. I'm not knocking Dabo either. He would also be very high on my list. I would put him number three. But the reason I would put Ryan Day number two is because from this point in time moving forward over, let's say, the next five years, I think he's going to achieve at a level that will only be exceeded by Nick Saban. And that includes Dabo, as good as I think he is. That includes Lincoln Riley. That includes Kirby Smart. All these coaches would be high on my list. I'd put Ryan Day above all of them aside from Nick Saban because I think he's going to achieve at that level. But even as I explained it, I mean, I got, I, got some, I got some crazy pushback on this. One of them was, well, he's just riding the coattails of Urban Meyer. Guys, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. They're operating at a higher level than they were under Urban Meyer. It's not what he left behind. It, they are improving on what was already in existence. And if you think that's easy, you ask Miami Hurricane fans how that worked with Larry Coker. You'd think it's so easy to just build upon an already sturdy foundation, but what you don't get is the foundation's always moving in college football. It's not really a foundation. Think about 
Urban Meyer exiting, I want you to think about the dynamic that was in play. Urban Meyer, one of the greatest of all time, leaves. They've got multiple options on that staff. I mean, they got a loaded roster, but they've got multiple high-caliber options at coach. And out of all the high-caliber options, they choose Ryan Day. They don't even have a national coaching search. It's Ohio State. That's the first thing I should say. They didn't even interview all these big-name current head coaches. They said, no, we're cool. We're going to elevate this guy who's never been a head coach before. Do you know how insanely confident people have to be in you? Do you know how sure a thing you have to seem to very good decision makers for them to do that? And they did it. And obviously it's paid off for them. But I want you to also think about this. Guys like Brian Hartline, guys like Larry Johnson, Mickey Mariotti, on-field staff, off-field support staff, analysts, they all stuck around. All these guys with tons of options looked at Ryan Day and said, yep, we want to work under him. Do you know what that tells you? Maybe it doesn't tell you anything. Maybe you're just a results person and that's all that could possibly ease your concern about something. Well, I don't feel that way. I'm a believer that I can look at something and I can tell what it's capable of if all the telltale signs are there before that thing has achieved the result. Because to me, if you're waiting to see the result achieved, well, at that point, a blind monkey could evaluate it. I mean, if Ryan Day wins five titles over the next 10 years, well, it's easy to sit there and say, Ryan Day's really good. No, he was already good before he won the titles. It's like when Roger Bannister ran the sub four minute mile for the first time. Well, does that mean that he developed that capability or that greatness the very moment he crossed the finish line? Or was he capable of it five days beforehand, 15 days beforehand, five months beforehand? He was already capable of it. He wouldn't have achieved it if he wasn't already capable. So I'm looking at it through that context. I'm asking, what are you capable of? Then I want you to achieve it at my job. And I'm looking at it if I'm power rating head coaches. I'm not doing it based on track record. Certainly that factors in. History does matter, but I'm just using it as a reference point, as a resource. That's not my end-all, be-all guide to what the next five years are going to be. There's, been, there's never been a point in the history of college football. You could put a pin on any given year on the timeline of college football. Never has the five years after that point mirrored the five years leading up to that point. Never. It never happened. never happens in life. It never happens in sports. Yet when you say things like, I think this guy's going to be more successful over the next five years than the more successful guy has been over the previous five years, people get so bent out of shape. And I've never understood it. I, there's just a little forward thinking sometimes that has to come into the equation here. But if you're unhappy about that assessment, that's okay. Because as I said, I was hiring for Pate State, not any other program. So the good news is if I'm making the wrong decision... All the other programs out there would theoretically benefit from that poor decision-making. I need to settle down. All right, let's 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 take a little breather here. Scott had a good one. Scott brings up two things that I want to mention. Uh, I'll mention the ancillary first off. Scott said, this question was posted on the college football subreddit, a really fun community to check out if you haven't. Well, Scott, I have, but I haven't been an active participant. But here's what I want to know. I want to know how many of you who listen to the pod are on the college football subreddit. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't bother. Uh, this is going to be over in like 10 seconds. If you are on there, feel free to spread the good word of late kick all over the college football subreddit. It's a sizable community. I should be active over there. You can 
recruit me over there if you want to, and I'll probably cave and I'll probably join. So having said that, that's just a little call to action. Scott continues. There was a question posted on the subreddit. I'd love to hear your take. What facts about college football today would seem impossible to fans in 2001? Some notable submissions in the thread were Texas and Texas A&M haven't played a game in 10 years and have no plans in the future, or that the Big East would be out of the football business, or that Vandy would be 500 against Tennessee for a decade from 2010 to 2019. I actually didn't realize that until you said it, Scott. Well, I got one. Uh, A couple of them, probably. Let me point to one that's kind of arbitrary. It's not directly on field. Just this past week, there was news that was met with a collective yawn, or maybe it was two weeks ago, that was met with a collective yawn. Dare Rosenthal, who was going to be the starting left tackle, or at least he was penciled in to be the starting left tackle at LSU, is in the transfer portal, and it could very well be that he transfers to another SEC program. As of recording, he has not landed anywhere, but let's just say he lands somewhere in the SEC. Do you realize that won't even be front page news? That won't even be a major talking point at SEC Media Days in a couple of weeks. Imagine if I were to go back to 2001 and I were to, in the month of July, say we're going to take a starting left tackle off of a perceived contender and we're just going to drop him on another SEC team and let him play immediately. That would turn people's necks a full 360 degrees, and their mouths would be wide open. They're saying, what alternate universe is this? Well, it's the transfer portal universe. Don't even get me started on name, image, and likeness. (laughs) Imagine waking up in July of 2001 and seeing that a booster has donated a total of 540 grand to be split evenly amongst all Miami football players. (laughs) I'm sure that would have gone over well. But no, there's another one that's on the field that has to do with Miami. I think it was 04 when Miami left the Big East and they played their first season in the ACC. And everyone who is old enough remembers what the talk was. The talk was, this is going to be Miami versus Florida State like every year in the ACC, eventually the ACC title game. But it's going to be decided between them every year. And instead, Miami has yet to win the conference. I think they've won one division title. They have not won that conference yet. That is mind-blowing. Because remember where we are in 2001. Miami is one of the superpowers in college football in 01. That roster is still heralded as one of or perhaps the greatest roster, the single collection of talent in the history of college football. Imagine thinking we're going to move that team to the ACC and we're going to let them go, what, to 2021 and beyond, dot, 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 on the end of that, and they still will not have won a conference title. Not one conference title. That's mind-blowing. Another fun exercise would be to tell people, or at least foreshadow, what USC was on the verge of doing, but then to also tell them by the end of the teens decade, so 2020, you will live largely painted over it because there will be a dynasty even greater that's built in Tuscaloosa by the guy who's the current head coach at LSU, and his next stop is not even Alabama. He's going to go to the NFL first. I don't think that that would be met with the warmest of welcomes of, well, yeah, that's believable. I could easily see that happening. This is a good idea, though, because there's so many. As as I'm recording live, I don't like to do these as live. This is one of those kinds of questions that as soon as I get done recording and I'm driving around later today, I'll have 14 different ideas pop in my mind and say, man, I should have thought of that one. Well, you guys will think of that, too. So feel free to tweet me and Instagram, whatever you want to do, and hit me up with these because these are really good. I may continue this. It actually could be a good segment on Late Kick Live. And so, yeah, it's July. We have room. We can stretch a little bit. We can spread our wings and we can do these kinds of segments, spread our wings. Like someone paid me $10 to slip that into the podcast today. They didn't, but they should have. Let's roll on this morning, afternoon, whenever you're listening. Ryan, up next, he said, I've been looking at team talent composite ratings and seeing some strange things. At the top, you have teams like 
Georgia, Texas, USC, Michigan, and other heavyweights that have somewhat underperformed based off where they rank talent-wise, okay? And then on the other hand, you have teams like Northwestern, Iowa State, and Indiana obviously punching well above their weight class based off team talent alone. How much of this underperformance can be attributed to programs just feeling the need to lock down big commitments that may not fit their scheme as well, star chasing in other words, and how much of it is poor development? How else can you explain these discrepancies in talent versus on-field results? Really good question, Ryan. To just shave it down, if I were to have to ask it in five seconds, he's saying some of these programs are underachieving based on talent. Some of them are massively overachieving. Could those programs that are underachieving be suffering because they're just going out and grabbing all the stars they can, even though those kids might not fit the system? as well as they should, whereas all the overachieving programs like Iowa State, they only take perfect fits. I think there is something to be said about that. I do think star chasing happens. No coach would ever admit it on record, but I do think star chasing happens. But I don't necessarily think that that's the number one factor in play here. I think it's a combination of many. Here's what I think happens sometimes. When you're at a name brand program, but you don't have the best system in place, you can really be confused as to who you are. Whereas at Iowa State, If you walk in the building in Ames, Iowa, or at Northwestern, it would be crystal clear. You could ask 50 people in the building, give me the mission statement, give me the vision, and they'd all basically say the same thing. It'd be like jinx times 50. Everyone would say the same thing. Whereas if you were maybe to walk in the doors of the Tom Herman Texas Longhorns, you were to get 50 different people on record, that'd probably give you 50 different answers. What kind of athlete are we looking for? What are our three critical factors for the strong safety position? Uh, What are the five tenets of our strength and conditioning and nutrition program? How do those two things overlap? And basically, this is not stuff you have to worry about if you're just sitting there watching a game on Saturday. But obviously, if you're building a program, these are the very foundational elements. I use the word pillar for a reason. These are the pillars. If you've ever seen one of those old Roman buildings, those big columns, those pillars, those buildings don't stand without the pillars. You can have all the pretty fresco paintings you want to, or fresca if a female painted it. Yes, don't check it. That's just how it works. Any artwork done by a lady, you put an A on the end of it. And all the artwork done by men, you put an O on the end of it. And that's just the way it is. Don't ask me. I don't make the rules. But look, it doesn't matter how many ornaments you have on the tree and the string of popcorn. If you don't have the tree, it's just a bunch of ornaments laying on the ground. And so at Texas, I'm not singling out Texas. Well, I kind of am because I needed an example. But that's how it's felt at times. And with some of these bigger programs, sometimes you don't have a clear defined vision of where you're going because you always have that talent to fall back on. But the problem is the talent, the gap, as we call it, in talent, sometimes it's not as pronounced as you think it is. If you've got Alabama and Ohio State talent, it is. There's a sizable gap between you and even tier two of college football or college football rosters. That doesn't mean those teams can't beat you occasionally, but it's rare. You have to really be off. But if you're in tier two or tier three, in other words, what I'm trying to say, because it really gets just convoluted when you put it this way, the gap between the first best roster in college football and the fifth best roster is probably equal to the gap between number five and number 20. So you see what I start to say there. There are a few that really separate at the top, but once you get past that first elite group, It's a lot closer together. And so if you're in that second or third tier, you can't afford to just be surviving off talent alone. And by the way, the best teams don't even survive off talent alone, even though they probably could. The very thing that got them to that stature is why they don't have to rely on talent alone. But anyway, so I sound like I'm confusing right now. All I'm saying is these teams that know they can recruit, 
those kinds of star players, the ones that have the brand name, they have the cachet, they have the recruiting budget, they have the cool facilities, they have enough to get talent in the door. I don't think they have to get nailed to the wall and they have to grind out every single first down and they have to have that us against the world, crawl over broken glass, squeeze every ounce of potential out of every facet of the program type mentality that you have at Iowa State or at Northwestern. I call it wasted motion. The reason I love to watch college softball over college baseball even is because in the sport of softball, there is zero wasted motion. You cannot waste any motion. Everything is so technically sound because if you're not, the game is so short. The game is so small. The infield, the dimensions, they're so much smaller that you can't even throw runners out. And that's why I love watching softball. Well, in recruiting and in the developmental world of college football, it's the difference between softball and baseball. Baseball is a great sport. I played baseball my whole life. But what I'm saying is you can afford to have a little more wasted motion. You can afford to inject a little more personality into the way that you approach the game in baseball because you're playing on a 400 foot to dead center field and you're playing on base paths that are 60 or 90 feet rather. And in softball, it's just a little bit different. The game's so truncated. It's so much smaller. Well, that's the mentality that a lot of these what you would call smaller programs in college football operate under. Iowa State knows before the cycle ever starts, we're not landing five-star players. We're probably not landing a whole lot of four-star players, and yet we're still going to expect ourselves to contend against the Oklahomas of the world and against whoever else gets thrown in front of us. Oregon in a bowl game. We're still going to expect to compete with them and beat them. How are we going to do it? Well, it's kind of like the Oakland A's in baseball. Since we're not going to have the salary, we got to go about it a different way. Well, they called their approach Moneyball. There are Moneyball approaches in college football. They, they don't all have to do with bringing David Justice in for specific reasons to play the very specified role that he needs to play in order for you to contend. But it's the same way. If you were to sit in meeting rooms at Northwestern versus meeting rooms at University of Georgia, those sound like different sports are being played. It's the same sport. It's the same game, rather, but it sounds like a different sport. And I think a lot of it is tied into knowing what you're capable of when you got that big G on the side of your helmet or that long horn on the side of your helmet and what you're not capable of if you've got that Iowa State logo or that Northwestern logo. But that's not the end of the world. That just means you have to go about it different. And what I think, to go back to Ryan's question, what I think happens sometimes is staleness sets in. If you've got an underachieving staff, I'm not saying Georgia necessarily has an underachieving staff. I don't believe that. Some people do. I don't. But if you do believe that, I, like I believe it at Texas. I believe they've had that at Texas. That's why I use the Longhorns as an example. If you've got staleness that sets in, it's because you, you kept defaulting to talent. Well, we'll just let our talent bail us out. Well, we know we can go recruit talent. Yeah, but what did you do with it? Nothing. You underachieved with it. Whereas since they knew beforehand they weren't going to have all the talent, they had to be more inventive and creative and cutting edge with their approach. There was no wasted motion. There is no wasted motion at places like Iowa State and Northwestern. That doesn't mean they're going to win double-digit games every year. In fact, it means the opposite. Their best in some years will be eight wins. But you can virtually rest assured, unless they just have crippling amounts of injuries, they are maximizing their potential. Whereas at some of these other places, USC is another one. Like USC was in the Pac-12 championship game last year. Do, do any of us really feel like Clay Helton and USC are dripping every ounce of potential out of that roster? Of course they're not. They're defaulting to talent. It's stale. They are defaulting to talent. That doesn't mean they can't turn it around, but they have defaulted to talent. And with that, we move on again. And you know what? I hate this, but sometimes it happens. I don't have a name for the next question. 
which of course is going to make it sound like I planted it, but I didn't. These are publicly viewable, so you can go check for yourself. I think this is from the podcast review section itself. Five-star reviews, always appreciated, by the way. The question was about the show itself. It was, I would like to know how you feel about a relationship between your audience and specifically the parasocial relationship, and if you want your audience to view you as a friend, even though you don't know most of us. I love the question, and I will answer it right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I love this question. We're still too close to 2020 for me to really tell the full story about what all went down last year. There was a lot going down behind the scenes in the media industry last year. I mean, a lot. And you can guess some of it because just as split and divided as it seemed society was on matters like COVID and should we do this, shouldn't we do that? And in the sports world, it was that way. Well, it was that way in sports media too. Think about where we were and think about all that we shouldn't have been able to accomplish. Because this circles back to the question that was just asked. When I came to 24-7, it was January of 2020. And then we started late kick in March of 2020. And then like literally later that month, we all got sent home from CBS and 24-7. And then the nation went into virtual lockdown. And also a couple of months later, we're talking about not having a college football season. So what we're trying to do on our end, just think about it selfishly for a second, we're trying to build a show from scratch. We had spring football taken away from us, which was going to be kind of our springboard. We were going to introduce our product to the audience, and instead there's really nothing to talk about. There's no new football to talk about. And then everyone's worried about your own life, which you should have been. I mean, that's not selfish on your part at all. There were just more pressing matters to attend to than college football, which may or may not even be happening later that year. And in the middle of all that, we start seeing our numbers grow really, really fast. And at the time, it didn't make sense to some people. And I got to be honest with you. Initially, Colin and I would look at those numbers and we would say, how are we seeing this kind of spike when there's nothing happening? I mean, sure, a new show should grow every week to some extent. It's like when you start working out. Yeah, your bench max should go up. It shouldn't go up 300% over the span of a few weeks. That's not the way that mass and strength gains work. But yet, that's what our show was doing. I didn't realize what was happening, but then I slowly started to catch on. And there were some things that were moving behind the scenes that, again, down the road, I'll be able to tell you about. But it circles back to what was just asked in this question. Again, the question was, I'd like to know how you feel about the relationship between you and your audience, specifically the parasocial relationship. And if you want the audience to view you as a friend, even though you don't know most of us, that's all the show is. It's college football. I used the word backdrop earlier. Yeah, college football is the backdrop, but it's community. It's community in the purest sense. It's not someone telling you it's community, but then they talk at you instead of with you. I've never formatted the show that way. 
It's why I intentionally don't involve a co-host. You are the, the person I'm talking to. I don't want to be talking to someone else on a desk. It's you. You're driving around in Topeka, Kansas right now, or you're listening, sitting in your bedroom to fall asleep. And by the way, thank you for going to bed with me in Tucson, Arizona. If you take that sentence out of context, it's really going to raise some eyebrows. But my point is, I've never really gone deep in this because it's kind of boring, but that's why we format the show from a psychological perspective the way we do. I don't want to co-host and I don't want to talk to a monitor. I've never used a teleprompter because I don't want to be reading to you. That's dumb. To me, it's dumb. When I grew up in Columbus, where I am right now, um, physically, I went and ate at the same restaurant every Monday through Friday with the same group of buddies, and we talked about the same college football topics every Monday through Friday, and I said, if I can ever, ever, ever get someone to put a microphone in front of my face, that's the format. The only difference is going to be, instead of the buddies being eye-to-eye to me, you know, two feet away from me, they're going to be virtually next to me. But it should feel no different. It should feel if you right now are in your car in Sarasota, Florida, we're just talking to each other. Half the time you probably talk back anyway to an imaginary person when I say something you disagree with. That's fine. That's conversation. It's free flowing. It's the way we've always done late kick. Well, here's what was happening last year. What was happening is a lot of people when it got time to talk about whether college football should be canceled or how protocols should be put in place for COVID. Basically, a lot of people got way outside their lane and outside of their area of expertise. When that was happening, we didn't do it. I never talked about it. I mentioned what was obviously glaring, and we talked about, from an operational standpoint, what was happening. The Big Ten announced this today. The Big Ten announced that today. But what I told our folks, anyone associated with my show from the very beginning, is we are not about to lecture anyone on this. We are not about to do these long-form, free-flowing commentaries on the greater good of society and how college football is or isn't serving it with its own selfish interest. We weren't doing any of that. There were 47 different places that you could go if you wanted that. But the reason our numbers were spiking so much, and they still are, is because I realized you were escaping it. You weren't running to it. You were escaping it. And it turns out that we were we were kind of like a little island. Or if you want to use the desert as your scene, we were a little oasis out in the desert. It was one of the only places, as it turns out, that you could go just to get pure, unfiltered college football talk. Independent of all the other garbage that was mixed in from people who were basically auditioning to go work in cable news. Well, that's not what you tune into college football for. It's not why you read about the sport. This stuff is always meant to be an escape. And so that's the way we treated the show. And that's why we were able to grow it last year. But it's you that was doing it. Because if that would have failed, then we would have had to rethink the entire approach. But 24-7 got us out in front of you enough to where you sampled it and you said, wow, this is free of all the ingredients I hate and it's got enough in it that I like. Well, I'm going to not only tune into this, but then the word of mouth phenomenon started. And so then even though we don't have a marketing budget, as I've talked about famously to this point many times, we just started to see our numbers grow and they kept growing and kept growing. It's never stopped. It's why I thank you emphatically every week because it's never stopped. That's the community. That's the community aspect. It's not manufactured. It's real. The way you know it's real is because you don't have to pay people to do it. You don't have to shame people into doing anything. You guys listen to the show or watch the show. You like it. You tell three buddies at work. You tell your family members at family reunion. You tell your cousin on Sunday at church and they come and listen and then rinse and repeat. And that's how the show has grown. I mentioned our numbers have grown 25% over the past two months alone. Well, that number was updated as of last week, starting July, that number's gone even higher. And so we are rolling and we're rolling because that's how community works. So 
yes, from a parasocial aspect, that's absolutely how I want it to feel. I wouldn't do the show if it were formatted any other way. I wouldn't do the show if they didn't let me format it myself to begin with. But even if I didn't format it and we had another executive producer, I'm not going to be part of one that's anything other than what we're doing right now. Because what we're doing right now is pretty unique, really, if you stop to think about it. In the grand landscape of sports media today, it's pretty unique. But when I came home last week, for example, I was at a July 4th thing, and one of my friends who hasn't seen me in a little while, they were saying, hey, I love the show. I just think it's crazy that you can sit there and talk by yourself for that amount of time. Well, that would be crazy if I was talking by myself. The whole concept is I'm not. (laughs) You know, it's no different than the barbecue joint at lunch on a random Wednesday afternoon. I treat it the same way. It's very conversational. It's why you can tell I'm not reading anything. It's just conversation. The skill here and I'll wrap it up after this because I know this bores a lot of you. Making it in sports media is really, it's it's very easy and extremely hard. On one hand, it's easy because talking about sports is easy. You and I watch it already. We watch college football already. So talking about it in and of itself is not hard. Can you get the most stubborn group of people on planet Earth to shut up long enough to listen to you because they value what's coming out of your mouth? Now think about what I just said. You and I both watch sports. We have probably for most of our lives. You know how stubborn you are because I know how stubborn I am. We all have it in us. This is an area we all think we're experts on. And the reality is, what is a sports expert? I don't even know. But everybody thinks they're an expert on this stuff. You have to be so good that when you talk, people who think they're an expert close their mouth and they listen to you because they value your word, maybe even more than their own. And the second thing you have to do is you have to have a relationship with people you may never meet face to face. And that is what we've achieved with Late Kick. That's the big skill here. That's what I'm the proudest of. When you guys DM me, some, most of you, 99% of you, I may never meet face-to-face in my life. If I were to screen capture DM or email conversations I have with you guys, it's like we grew up together. If you could see the way the back and forth is, or just listen to the podcast, if you listen to the casual way the back and forth flows, it's like we grew up with each other. That's the way it's supposed to sound. If you're any good at what you do, that's the way this should sound. So I appreciate the question because I don't really have a natural way to talk about that. Uh, but I, I have no problem discussing that or answering questions like that if they are presented organically. I'm not just going to say, hey, I want to talk about this for 15 minutes today. All right, next up is Colin. He said, a couple of months ago, the Cover 3 podcast tried to define what a blue blood program was. I was wondering what you would consider to be a blue blood. Does a team that is new to the scene like Clemson count? What about teams that have had historic success but are a current multi-year slumper like Texas or USC, a slumper, huh? Do you think consistent recruiting success is a large factor? I'm just curious what your thoughts were during a reloading season, whispers, off-season. Beautiful. Hey, there's the community. Off-season, excuse me, off-season has been a perfect example of community because I can't tell you how many of you I have seen include the X over the O in the word off-season. This off-season. And it's been beautiful. Now, to someone who's new to the podcast, I may sound like a serial killer in the way I just talked over the last minute, but that's okay because if you've been around a while, you get it. And if you, new listener, if you hang around a while, you'll get it. We don't believe in that concept around here. There is no off season. There's the regular season and then there's waiting, but there is never a reason to say there's nothing happening. Therefore, it's off season. So we do not allow the word to be said. If we have to say it, we'll whisper it. Well, Colin did just that, even though he was writing this question. I think I did a segment on this a while back. I can't remember the exact parameters. It's inexcusable that I'm doing this right now because I could easily cut this out, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to think like we're on live radio. To me, a blue blood has to be relevant across multiple generations and cannot 
have been irrelevant for more than two consecutive generations before right now. Now, how do we define a generation? Is it five years? Is it 15 years? I think we can say eight years, happy medium, a little bit more towards decade. So let's say a generation is every eight years. Well, that means Tennessee is bordering on irrelevance for two consecutive generations, which would make them therefore not a blue blood anymore. You can lose blue blood status. Now, what I also think is you can't just have recently become elite, no matter how elite you are, and automatically gain blue blood status. So there has to be longevity. So I would not call Clemson a blue blood. But at this point, I think it's fair to remove the blue blood tag from Tennessee too. Some of you think it never should have been there. I do. But nevertheless, if you don't agree that it should have been there, I'm fine with removing that name tag right now. So that's why the Bamas of the world and the Ohio States of the world, they're there. They've had success. They're good now, but they've also had it across multiple generations in the past, and they haven't been bad for a prolonged period of time right now. Florida State, for example, that's a blue blood program. To, to me now, we've gotten far enough in this thing where... Florida State's success, relatively speaking, as a program is not new. Like once upon a time, if it were 2000 and we were asking this question, the older folks in the room would rightly say, well, you know, Florida State, to you young kids, they may be a power, but us older folks, we remember when Florida State was a laughingstock and Bobby Bowden had to build them. Well, yeah, but that was several decades ago now. So we've gotten far enough in where they have the longevity. They've had success across multiple generations. They've won a title as recently as 2013. And while they may be down right now, they haven't been down for two generations. They've got a title within the last two generations. So I would call Florida State a blue blood. And I think that may surprise some people because you're maybe you're only thinking about the here and now, but I define it a little bit different. So Colin, I think there is a way to define a blue blood, but it would be person by person. There's not a Webster's Dictionary version of it, in other words. Speaking of the state of Florida, I might as well throw Trent's question in here. He said, hypothetically, if all the head coaches at Miami, FSU, Florida, and UCF stay the same, given the current state of their programs, who do you think will be the best program to compete for a title, if at all, in three to five years? This one, I wish I could have another 12 months to digest results on before I had to answer, because it's really hard. I mean, I'm looking at Florida. They are by far the most established right now. I don't know if the recruiting level is going to elevate to the point where they can win a championship. So we're talking about potentially winning a title in this question, not just who could be winning the most. If you were to ask me who's going to be in position to have the best record in three years, I would probably guess Florida. But if you're asking me who's going to be in best position to win title, I'd have to be a little more risk reward. So I'd, I would accept a little more risk in my answer for potentially a higher reward. And so I may go Florida State, which sounds just insane right now. And I was just talking about the Knowles. So I'll circle back to them because Florida State, I think their maximum recruiting capacity could surpass Florida. It's not at the moment. It's not. Florida's not a bad recruiter. That's one of the biggest myths in college football right now. They're not elite, but they're very good. Florida State they are investing the energy and resources to be an elite recruiting power. Now, whether they sustain that remains to be seen. We haven't even seen it for a full cycle yet. So I know we're in the very early stages of that. Likewise with Miami, I've talked to you about this before. I think they are in such a unique position to benefit from this current and future time period in college football. I think the transfer portal era disproportionately benefits Miami because a lot of South Florida kids that enter the portal by default, most of the time when you're in the portal, you may be looking to get back closer to home. Well, closer to home for a South Florida kid is close to Miami. So if you can go home and of Power 5 contending program has a spot on the roster driving distance from wherever home is. Well, that's your ticket. Tyreek Stevenson, recently from Georgia, former five-star corner, goes back to South Florida, and there's Miami. I'll go play at Miami. Why not? So I think they can benefit from that. 
several times, not just once. It's not going to be isolated. And number two, NIL is going to really benefit Miami. We've already seen that headline as recently as this week. And Manny Diaz, they got to capitalize on that. Because if, if that staff is legitimate, if they're worth their salt, man, Miami would be the answer to this question. So my question with them is the coaching staff. It's not Miami in and of itself. That'd be a great position to be in for any coaching staff. So Florida would be my answer if we're talking about just record. Because that's the safest answer. That's the most established commodity there right now. If we're going longevity and we're going who could win a title... I think maybe Florida State is viable, but I really want some more time. I know that's not how this works, but I would really like some more time to kind of marinate on that. TJ, next up. He said, my name is TJ. There you go. I'm a recent grad of A&M, Texas A&M to be exact. And my question is, how long would it take for the SEC East to become the better of the two divisions in the Southeastern Conference? With teams that do not put as much effort into football, i.e. Vandy and Kentucky, will it ever be possible? Well, I think Kentucky's putting as much effort as they ever have put into football right now. I don't know that I would look at Mississippi State and Kentucky and I would say, advantage Mississippi State. I think they're I think they're doing just as much at Kentucky as they're doing at Mississippi State. I think that may be a newer commodity or concept, rather. It may be a newer concept at Kentucky, whereas Mississippi State's been all in on football for a long time. Uh, but... I would say it all comes down to Tennessee. You cannot surpass the West without Tennessee. And so however far away you feel Tennessee is from contending, that's how far away the East is from potentially surpassing the West. Now, the other thing that could enter the equation is if Nick Saban up and retired today, that would start the clock ticking on wondering, is Alabama going to maintain their death grip atop the division? Probably unlikely, at least to the degree they have under Saban. So then you would wonder, is the West going to be buoyed by Alabama at the very top? Or is the West going to turn into a lot of really good, but no great? Because that makes them vulnerable. So I would say, short of Nick Saban retiring, and I have not gotten a press release that indicates that's coming anytime soon, then I would say it's up to Tennessee. Florida, yeah, to some extent, but Florida's a good program right now. Georgia's a really good program. It's up to Tennessee. South Carolina to a lesser extent, but you need those big three, those traditional historic big three, to carry their weight. Or else, you know, it really doesn't matter what Kentucky's doing or Missouri's doing, all due respect, because historically, we just don't look at those programs and think they're capable of rattling off a five-year period of dominance. That's not realistic. I guess it could happen, but it's not realistic. Let's hit Wyatt's here, and then we'll wrap it up. Wyatt said, My dad and I were talking last night about how NIL will affect the transfer portal, operating under the assumption that starters receive more lucrative brand deals. So it follows that a highly rated player may not wait multiple years for their turn to play due to the money they lose while waiting. Instead, they'll opt to transfer to a school that allows them to play ASAP. Wyatt, I think this already happens. I don't necessarily think the um, transfer rate is going to skyrocket. You may see a blip on the radar screen. Like it may increase to a four or five or 6% clip. That that could happen, but that could have happened without NIL. Who knows how things were going to go even without NIL. But what I think is this, you stand to make the most money where the spotlight is the brightest. And I think we all understand that. So if you're playing, let's say at USC, the spotlight is brighter there than Fresno State. Now, a lot of kids who play at USC any given year could probably go from second string at Southern Cal to starting at Fresno State. That just is the lay of the land. That's the way of the world. Well, does it make financial sense? Because we're talking about a four-year decision versus a 40-year decision. If you have aspirations beyond this level, in other words, common sense tells you, regardless of competition and how stacked the roster is, you stand the best chance of premier development at a premier program. And that means if you're buried on the depth chart as a freshman at Clemson or Alabama, it's not the end of the world. 
first off. Secondly, if you have long-term vision, you understand if I'm good enough, if I trust my talents and my abilities, my opportunity will come here. Maybe not immediately as a true freshman, but my opportunity will come. The spotlight's always going to be there because this is Clemson or Alabama. And C, there's the added benefit of getting premier world-class top-end development to get me ready for the NFL. Because getting a lucrative NIL deal in college is not preparing you for the pros. It's making you some money, but it's not preparing you for the pros. And let me follow it up with this. I think there's going to be some big numbers that come out initially. I think there are going to be some players that disproportionately cash in relative to what their value should be because of the novelty aspect of NIL. Once this thing settles down a little bit or once we settle into it, I don't think you're going to see several players signing multi-million dollar deals, which means no one is setting themselves up for life through NIL. I don't think that's happening. You can set yourself up for life through the NFL. So it is very short-sighted to be making your college destination decisions based on NIL. I think a lot of guys are going to do it, but poor decision-making happens even without NIL. So I think NIL is going to expose some poor decision-making. It's going to lead to some bad people putting bad information in kids' ears who are very vulnerable to that. It's just a tough lesson we're going to have to learn. That doesn't mean you should be anti-NIL, but there are going to be some tough lessons that are learned. You know, when they raise the speed limit on any given road in America, you're going to pay for that with one or two more traffic accidents or potential fatalities in a given year. We accept the trade-off. Now, that's an extreme example, but in NIL, in the world of college football, some guys are make, they're going to probably make some career-altering decisions for the worse. That's just part of it. That's the learning process. And the good news is guys younger than them in high school are watching. And hopefully they learn from it where they don't have to learn that lesson the hard way. They learn it through observation. I, for instance, have never touched a hot stovetop in my life. Never done it. Why do I know not to do it? Well, because I watched my sister do it when I was younger. And it looked like it was very painful. And I didn't need to learn anymore. I've never done meth. Because I know a kid in high school, initials DE, who did it for a large portion of his life, and I see the condition he's in right now. Well, I've never had to do meth to realize I don't need to do meth. So don't touch the hot stovetop, don't do meth, and do not use short-sighted decision-making in NIL. If you only take those three things from me today, we have succeeded in this edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. Got one favor to ask of you. One favor and one favor alone. It's like five of them, but pretend it's one. Need you to follow me on Twitter and need you to follow me on Instagram at Late Kick Josh. Now I'm going to drop this little nugget out there and then I'm just going to let it be. There is a Late Kick TikTok account. It is brand new. We don't really know what it is yet, but I am the same there as I am every other handle at Late Kick Josh. If you so choose, you can go follow me there. There's not a lot of content yet. That will change. Again, we're feeling it out. So I'm just going to leave that there. A little bug in your ear. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in. Five-star reviews on the podcast. Subscribe on the Late Kick and 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And that about does it. Good solid 50 minutes. So hopefully I get you from wherever you are to wherever you're going. I'll probably listen to this on my five-hour drive tonight. Remember Late Kick Live tomorrow night. If the show has been a little more echoey than normal, it's because I'm not in my usual studio. So you got to bear with me. A little auxiliary studio. There's a motorcycle, for example. Listen. See that? There's a motorcycle going by in the background. Hey, man, we're on the streets. It's raw right now. It is late kick extra raw. And with that in mind, I got to sign off. For producer Lance, who's handling duties today, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your Wednesday, and God bless.
it's Micah Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. <laughs> 